Hello and welcome everyone. I am Lauren Foster, a content director with CFA Institute. And joining us here on the conference live stage in London is Dr. Conson Locke. Dr. Locke is senior lecturer in practice in the Department of Management at the London School of Economics, where she teaches courses in organizational behavior, leadership, negotiation, and decision making. Welcome, Dr. Locke. It's wonderful to have you here today. Thank you. So, an underlying question in the leadership research has been are leaders born or are they made? In other words, are they born with something mm. special that makes them leaders or do they develop that along the way? Yeah. So in your experience, which is it or is it more complex than a binary choice? So this is such a classic question. Yeah. I actually wrote a Harvard Business Review online article about it because it comes up all the time. It's a bit more complex. Essentially, there are two, when we think about leaders, we can think about leader emergence and leader effectiveness. So leader emergence means who gets chosen as a leader. If you've got a bunch of people who are all sort of at the same level, who kind of sticks out and everyone looks to them as the leader? Leader effectiveness is you're already in that leader position. Are you going to do well? So what you're born with, like your personality traits, can help predict leader emergence. So things like if you're more extroverted, you are slightly more likely to be picked out as a leader, which makes sense because you're you know, you're more speaking up and people notice you, that sort of thing. So you can kind of predict emergence. You cannot predict effectiveness. And the reason for that is leaders work in a lot of different contexts. So you could say you're looking at salespeople. You could maybe predict effectiveness in that context. But then you take those same variables, those same traits. It doesn't work when you're looking at... Um, bankers or you're looking at, you know, it's, these are very different contexts that need different sorts of traits and qualities. And so I'd say, yes, leaders are born to something that might get them noticed, but not necessarily be successful. So what makes for a great leader? I mean, is there a single attribute that defines all leaders? No. Um, the main thing, when I teach leadership, I talk about how um, adaptability is really the most important thing. That flexibility, that ability to understand the context. You hear lots of stories about leaders who did really well in one organization. They move to another one, maybe it's a smaller organization or maybe it's completely different, the culture is completely different, and they just tank. Mm -hmm. So it's all about that sensitivity to the context you're in and being able to adjust. So let's talk a bit about this idea of charisma. Mm. So people at the top often have what's described as charisma, but you say that's really just very effective mastery of body language. Mm -hmm. So my question, is it a mistake to interpret confident nonverbal behavior as a sign of confidence and leadership? So it is a mistake that we make. I don't. So the thing is, we expect our leaders to look confident. We expect them to behave in a certain way, and that's why we have this sort of bias. Um, charisma is a mix of the nonverbal behavior. It's also the verbal behavior. Using metaphors, using very effective language adds to charisma. It's also the perspective of the people looking at you. If they desperately want a leader, they will attribute charisma if they're go undergoing a lot of change. So charisma is a lot of things, but yes, it can sometimes be empty. 
And that's, this is something that we have to be careful of. It doesn't mean that everyone who is charismatic is not, is not competent, but it just means that we make that mistake a lot. So you have to look behind the charisma and really see, is there some, is there some content there? So sticking with, I guess, with body language and nonverbal behavior, mm -hmm. I know we're rather constrained uh, behind the desk, but say this was a job interview mm -hmm. um, and we were seated at a desk. Um, can you demonstrate what confident, assertive body language would look like or perhaps give our views, viewers a few tips on the do's and don'ts? Well, so the, the research on job interviews has actually found that the more, I guess the more animated I mean, I'm not talking about extreme, like you don't want to overdo it, but the more animated you are, if you use eye contact, if you use gestures, if you're kind of engaging in the way you communicate, that's very effective. If you're you know, so nervous that you're just kind of like this and, and kind of talking like that, that doesn't work. But what I find interesting is even more important than the body language is actually how you dress. <laughs> So it's, it's your hair, it's how you dress. Is it appropriate for that organization? Is it appropriate for that culture? And so that's, that's something to really think about. That's really interesting. Is there anything about the way you sit in terms of whether you cross your legs or keep your legs straight? Or is that doesn't make a difference? Not necessarily. Okay. I think there, I do talk about, when I teach presence, I do talk about taking up space. So if you're too, if you're kind of shrinking, that's not good mm -hmm. because you're, you're making yourself smaller. You're looking weaker. If you're overdoing it, <laughs> that's not good either. Yeah. So you kind of want to have that middle ground where you are confident you're taking up some space, but not either extreme. And the clothing one's a little tricky, right? Because mm. organizations are different. So are there any sort of rules of thumbs of do's and don'ts in terms of what it's not to do wear? Do your research. <laughs> One of my students was very upset with herself because she interviewed with an advertising company and she wore her normal conservative suit and she got there and she found they were all dressed in these funky <laughs> clothes and she was like, I'm not going to get the job. Right. So do your research, definitely. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. So obviously being assertive and confident make one seem more leader-like, mm -hmm. but are there situations when being leader-like doesn't actually pay off? Yeah, so the thing about being leader-like is, I mean, it's good in a lot of situations. You look competent, you look like you know what you're talking about. But there is a situation, which I looked at in my research, where you've got a junior person on your team, they've been doing all the data collection, and you're having a conversation with them. And you're saying, okay, what should we do here? What's, what's the advice for the client? Mm -hmm. If you're too confident-looking, they're hesitant. Yeah. Because they're like, it, it, like, if you say, I think we should do this for the client, they don't want to disagree with you. They're kind of going, oh, well, mm, should I disagree? I don't know. And so that's when you have to kind of tone down a bit and just be a bit more open to what they're saying and maybe the doubts that they have and the input that they have. Maybe dial it back just a little bit. Exactly. <laughs> so our judgments of leaders are really based on mental prototypes. Mm. What are those prototypes? So the mental prototype is essentially how do we decide if someone's a leader? There's no single attribute, which means we create this kind of stereotype, really, of what we think a leader looks like and acts like. It's based on what we see around us. It's based on what we see in the history books. It's based on what we see in the media. So the mental prototype of a leader tends to be, it's not true for everyone, but it tends to be male, 
it tends to be that very confident-looking, charismatic person.、Mm-hmm. Tends to be、uh, able-bodied. Tends to be heterosexual. Tends to be white. You know, all of、yeah. these things.、Um, and it's something that we need to be aware of, because、yeah. if you're not one of those things, like for me, being female, Asian, you know, all of these things, it doesn't mean I can't be a leader. It just means I have to work at it just that bit more. And I have to be very conscious of my nonverbal behavior and really use that confident demeanor. So, what happens when the leader prototype clashes with the female stereotypes? So, yes, women have a. So, there's a challenge for anyone who doesn't belong to those groups. You know, any minority or、um, whatever. But women have a particular additional challenge because the leader prototype is very agentic. So agentic is the male stereotype, which means you have agency, you're in charge, you're in control. The female stereotype is communal,、mm. warm, friendly, nice. And so when a woman is agentic, she's being counter stereotypical, and that's the challenge for women. Is when you're agentic, you have to balance it with a certain degree of warmth and showing that you do care about the people and the community. So you've done some very interesting research, and it's on flirting and negotiation. So what did you learn? So we learned that、um, first of all, you can't get a paper published if you use the word flirting. <laughs> we tried for many years, and then my co-author, the the lead author on this research, decided to change it to、um, feminine charm.、Mm. In which case, it was we were then able to publish it.、Um, We also learned that feminine charm works. If there's two kinds of flirting, so there's one kind where you're just really flattering and nice to the other person. In a negotiation, you come across as a bit of a pushover if that's the kind you use. There's another kind of flirting where you're really you're pushing, you're pushing for what you want, but in a nice way. You know, come on. You can give me that, you know, and so that kind of flirting actually works because what you're doing is it's the agentic plus the communal. Ah, so you're pushing, but you're doing it in that warm kind of friendly way. Interesting. But I don't advise this. Flirting is something that comes naturally to some people and not to others. So if it's not, if it doesn't come naturally to you, please don't use it. <laughs> so if someone watching wants to develop their presence and influence as a leader,、mm. what would your top three tips be for them?、Hmm. So first of all, I would say is the voice in your head. Because if you have a voice in your head saying, "Oh, I'm terrible at this. I hate public speaking,"、mm. that's going to undermine you no matter what you do. So deal with the voice in your head. Listen to it. What is it saying, and how do you change it so it's not undermining you? The second thing would be working on the body language and the nonverbal behavior, which I think you actually need coaching for that. So in the UK, there's an organization called RADA, which is the、um, Dramatic Arts Royal Academy for Dramatic Arts, and they do courses for business people. In the States, I know there's something called the Ariel Group that we used when I was working at BCG. So there are all these people who are actors, but they work with business people, and so that would be the second step. And then the third one I would say is really think about what is your message. What do you want to say? Not not a list of ten bullet points, but what is that key thing that you want to get across to people? 
And if you can focus on all three of those, I think together you'll be, it will make you more powerful. That's great. So I'm pivoting slightly here with this next question, but what advice do you have for women or others who find themselves struggling with imposter syndrome mm. in a leadership position? Yeah. So first of all, realize that imposter syndrome happens to a lot of people, men and women. It's, you, you know, you're not the only one. Lots of people have imposter syndrome. It's, it's about the voice in your head. So it's really just getting that voice under control. I have to say, when, when I first started out as an academic, there was this voice in the back of my head going, can you do this? Can you really do this? Um, and just trying to, you know, keep moving and keep going. And once you have those small wins, once you start realizing, oh, actually, I'm good at this, and I'm good at this, and I'm good at this, then slowly, slowly, you move beyond it. But it's just realizing it's, it's kind of just part of being in a senior position. So what would you say are the most common misperceptions that people have about presence, power, influence? Mm. So one of the biggest ones is confusing confidence with competence. Mm. If you look very confident, people think that yeah. you are competent. If you say something with a lot of confidence, they'll believe you, even if you're telling a complete lie. <laughs> and this is the thing is um, narcissistic leaders get hired and they get um, promoted because they look so confident. And then only afterwards we realize, oh, they're not competent. Mm. So that's, I think that's the biggest mistake. Okay. So I guess my final question for you, uh, you teach classes on presence and influence. Let's put the shoe on the other foot for just a moment. What's the best piece of advice that you've been given that you've put into practice? I think the best piece of advice was when someone told me, because I had just started, this was when I was at the Boston Consulting Group and I had just started doing training, teaching um, these training sessions. He said to me, what are the three things that you want to get across? What are, what are the things you want your audience to absolutely remember mm -hmm. or to do differently when they leave the room? That's what you need to focus on. Okay. Because up until then, I had been working on my PowerPoint slides. I'd been thinking about what I'm wearing. You know, I spent ages perfecting those PowerPoint slides, but I didn't have a clear message. And if you don't have a clear message, then what's the point? Thanks so much for joining. Great insights today. Copyright 2019, all rights reserved. This program is designed to give accurate and authoritative information in regards to the subject matter covered. It is distributed with the understanding that CFA Institute is not engaged in rendering legal, accounting, tax investment, or other expert advice. If legal advice or other expert assistance is required, the services of a competent professional should be sought.